In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, and happy Pentecost to all of you. You're looking so very Pentecostal and wonderful this morning. I uh, told our wonderful executive assistant, uh, Elaine, uh, Elaine Allen, this week, I was having trouble uh, figuring out how to start this Pentecost sermon. And she said, don't you have like a funny story or something? And I said, you know, I'm all out of funny stories about the Holy Spirit coming zapping me on the head with a tongue of fire. It is, uh, the Pentecost is just so unique, isn't it? It's just, and in, in, there's really, in fact, all of Scripture, there is nothing else like Pentecost. And it is so differentiated from our experience, uh, which is to say that none of us have likely ever experienced anything like Pentecost. I mean, now many of you will be able to say that you have seen the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, many of you will be able to say that you have felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. But ain't none of you ever had a tongue of fire come and sit on your head. So, uh, as, but as strange and as different as Pentecost is, this Pentecost event is profoundly and uh, presently relevant uh, to our lives as Christians and to our life together as a church. And so with that in mind, I want to ask three questions about Pentecost as it is given to us in Acts chapter 2. Three questions. What happened? Why did it happen? And what does that mean for us? So what happened? Why did it happen? What does it mean for us? First question, what happened? That seems like a pretty easy question because we all heard it just read to us uh, predictably impeccably uh, by, by Martha. All those names, excellent job. Um, the disciples were gathered together in one place in Jerusalem. Uh, it seems like they were inside a, a room and, and, and there was a sound like a violent wind and then there was fire over each one of them. And then they started speaking in other languages. That sounds pretty much like what happened. But, but to gain maybe an even better understanding of what happened, I want you to consider that throughout the Old Testament, that fire marks the very presence of God. I want you to think about uh, the book of Exodus and the Israelites wandering through the desert. and God led them... Uh, as a pillar of cloud by day, but at night as a pillar of fire. As a pillar of fire. Or think about the book of Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar through faithful Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the blazing, fiery furnace. When Nebuchadnezzar looked in, he saw not three men unharmed in the fire, but four. And one of them, he said, looks like a god. Or think of 1 Kings and the prophet Elijah defeating uh, the prophets of the false god Baal on Mount Carmel. And the Lord God proved himself by fire from heaven coming down uh, out of the sky. And on and on and on, really, we could go. Uh, the presence of God in the Old Testament is so often marked by fire. And that is what St. Luke, who is the author of 
Acts, that is what St. Luke would have been thinking about as he recounted the mighty and unique Holy Spirit event of Pentecost. It was 50 days after the Passover. And so it was uh, the Jewish harvest festival of Shavuot, which is its Hebrew name, or Pentecost, which was its Greek name. And it was therefore also 50 days after Jesus' resurrection and 10 days after his ascension. And during this Pentecost harvest festival, the disciples of Jesus were all gathered together in one place, likely for fellowship and prayer around this uh, festival of Shavuot. And they were, as they were gathered there, a mighty rushing wind, a violent wind, our translation says, inside the room, and, and a tongue, sort of like a stripe of fire, came and rested on each one of them. But not just any fire. This was the very presence of Almighty God resting upon each one of them. And isn't it remarkable that there's no mention of the disciples like screaming or dodging or running away or trying to avoid these tongues of flame. When I imagine this scene, it seems chaotic and, and startling. But there must have been some sense of peace, some immediate sense that this is what Jesus had meant when ten days earlier he had said to them that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so despite the extraordinary supernatural experience, the wind and the tongues of fire, they knew that they were safe there in the presence of God. And so what happened well, God moved in. That's what happened. The Holy Spirit of God took up residence within them. The fire over them was symbolic of the new fire within them. And they were empowered by that Spirit to do the work for the glory of God. So that's what happened. But why did it happen? That's the second question. Why did God show up and move into their lives like that? Well, I think there's two main answers to that question. First, this is the first time in all of Scripture that the Holy Spirit is available to everyone. Whenever we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, it is for some extraordinary and unique circumstance. Like if the Holy Spirit comes upon an individual, it's, it's almost always upon a prophet like Elijah or upon some great champion like Samson or Gideon. Uh, and it's usually temporary. It's for a specific act at a specific time. But Pentecost changes all that. It's like God made a divine policy change. You know, and, and Pentecost says that the Holy Spirit is present to everyone whose faith is in Jesus all the time. All the time. If you, friend, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you can trust that the Holy Spirit resides in you, within you, just as truly as he did with those early disciples. And we're going to talk about the implications of that in just a minute. But the Holy Spirit resides in you, within you, if you have faith in Christ. But the second answer to why Pentecost happened is something that I've actually never really noticed before in the text. And we're told that divided tongues as a fire appeared among them. And then we're told 
that they began, these disciples began to speak in languages as the Spirit gave them ability. But here's what I've never noticed before. In the original Greek, that word tongues and the word languages is actually the same word. Glossa. Glossa. And it's unusual in any sort of translation that, that when, you, when the author puts the same word placed so closely together in a text that you would translate it two different ways. Now, it's a good translation. I mean, surely languages of fire didn't come and rest on their heads, but tongues of fire. And if we were to say they spoke in other tongues, we would mean they spoke in other languages. So the translation is fine. But St. Luke could have used other words to say the same thing. But by using the same word for both, glossa, I think that Luke is conveying to us that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for the proclamation of the gospel message. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for the proclamation of the gospel message. And particularly, the gift of the Holy Spirit is for the glory of God. We are not meant to marvel at the disciples and their new abilities. We are meant to marvel at God. We are meant to marvel at the grace that God would make it possible for so many people from so many places to hear and understand the gospel message. And I think that most of the time when we see someone that we perceive to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or we perceive them to be particularly close with God, or they've got gifts that we don't have. You know, they're just great at praying, or they're great at teaching, or they're great at running things, or whatever it is. We tend to think, wow, that person is amazing. And they may be. But the gift that God has given them is actually supposed to make us think, wow, that God is amazing. That God is amazing. The gift should always point us not to the gifted, but to the giver. The gift should point us to the giver. I mean, in Pentecost, we get a pretty amazing miracle, don't we? I mean, the disciples began to speak in languages that presumably they had not known before. And this is not what we normally might think of. We talk about, we hear somebody talk about speaking in tongues, like speaking. And it's unintelligibly. And that manifestation of the Spirit has its place uh, in the life of the church. But this, what happened at Pentecost, this would be as if I only spoke German. But I stepped into the pulpit and suddenly I could speak English so that you would understand the gospel. That's the sort of miracle that's happening. These relatively uneducated, working class Galileans could suddenly speak in the intelligible languages of the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the Mesopotamians and the Judeans and the Cappadocians and more. It wasn't a party trick. It was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit through one group of people so that another group of people could hear and understand about the mighty works of God. The gospel message. Now surely these tongue-touched disciples were themselves amazed. And they were encouraged in their own faith. But the gift of the Holy Spirit was not ultimately for their amazement or even for their own edification. Nor was it for the expansion of their gift set or for people to marvel at their holiness. 
So why did Pentecost happen? The gift of the Holy Spirit was given so that others might hear and understand the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And God would get the glory. God would get the glory. And that's a pretty good place to transition to our last question, which is why, or excuse me, what does Pentecost mean for us? What does it mean for us? Well, in the Gospel passage uh, from the Gospel of John, which Deacon Beth just read, Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit that we receive. And he describes the Holy Spirit as an advocate. An advocate. And that's a word that is sometimes translated as helper or as comforter. And we need all those things, don't we? I mean, an advocate, a helper, a comforter, of course. It should tell us that the Holy Spirit is for you. He, he, um, he's on your side. He he's works for your good. He's your advocate, a helper, a comforter. But He is not principally an advocate for you in the sense of like, you know, helping you get, get the, the date that you've wanted to get or the, uh, helping you get the big promotion or, or the, getting the dream house that you've always wanted. I mean, may, maybe sometimes those things. He's the giver of all good things. But not principally, I think. Principally, the Holy Spirit is advocating to you on behalf of Jesus Christ and advocating for you before God the Father. That's, that's His principal advocation to you on behalf of Jesus and for you on, behalf, uh, of, on your behalf before God the Father. He comforts you with the message of salvation. He helps you to find peace in the gospel of grace when the world is demanding more and saying that you're never enough. The Holy Spirit is not there to simply give us what we want like some divine vending machine. Like consumers that we are, I think we sometimes forget that. Rather, the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us to glorify the God who has saved us. To advocate to us the life that God has created for us. To comfort us when we mess it up. And to strengthen us with His grace to try again. And God, in this, all this working, God has given you at least one gift of some sort, a talent that is a particular manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you and through you. Now, it's probably so natural to you that you don't even think of it as a gift. You just kind of think of it as ordinary. Like, you, know, you might be a fantastic cook, and you just love to do that for other people. Or you're great at organizing things. Or you just happen to be a really good listener and you actually like it when other people pour out their heart to you. Not, not everybody likes that. You're good at making other people smile when they need it the most. Or you love to learn and to teach and to see the light bulb come on for other people. Or you love to design things that people can use. I mean, the possibilities are endless. That talent is a gift. It's a specific reminder to you that, that God loves you and He made you on purpose. The way that you are. And a reminder that God has given you the Holy Spirit. But, that gift is not for you. It is for the glory of God through you. It is to bless others. And ultimately, it is for others to hear and understand the gospel message. 
Right? Just like uh, those disciples on Pentecost spoke languages so that the Parthians and the Medes and the others could hear and understand the gospel. But here's the trick. When you are working in your giftedness for the glory of God and for the good of others, you end up with a life that is richer and fuller and more satisfied than you could ever have imagined. So Pentecost is an extraordinary gift. And today we're not simply celebrating what happened on that first Pentecost. We're celebrating that that God has graciously given to us His Holy Spirit. And we're thanking Him today for catching us up into His own plans and for bestowing upon each of us unique gifts and talents to tell His story. And we're asking Him how He wants us to use those gifts so that others may hear and understand the Gospel. Now, will we have the courage and the faith to follow where he leads. Amen.